Well, good morning, everybody. Man, it's good to see you guys. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Bridgewater. And um, man, God's doing some good things here in Vestal, amen? It's good to be a part of it with you. Um, We're going to keep going in our series called Reset. Now, uh, in case you missed the first couple weeks, I I just want to update you on what it's really all about. The, The beginning of the year is a time where a lot of people kind of tend to think about New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever done those? Okay, you're all lying to me right now, so we're going to start with like telling the truth. That's a, that's a good resolution. We'll start with that, okay? All right, let's try it again. Anybody ever done those before? Okay, yeah. Uh, will you be honest? How many of you kept them? Yeah. Sometimes, right? You know? Whether you've done resolutions or not, you surely have had things in your life, situations in your life, times in your life where you've hit something going on and you've gone, man, I really wish I had a reset button. If you haven't, I'm going to tell you something. You haven't lived long enough, and trust me, it it will come. You will say something. You will do something. You will develop a habit that you go, ugh, that needs to change. When I first met my wife, uh, we met working together at a summer camp. We were both counselors at this camp. And I got to know her brothers the year before. I didn't even know she existed. And she showed up. I had counseled her brothers the year before. She showed up working at this camp, and I saw her, and I was scared out of my mind. Like, oh, no. Well, I'm kind of a big deal. She really liked me. And uh, no, that's not how it happened at all. But needless to say, as we got to know each other over the summer, um, we, we began to, to be interested in each other. And at the end of the summer, I had a, a chance to kind of ask her if we could start pursuing a relationship. And then she said, yeah, sure. And, and we ended up going out for a meal with her brothers and her parents, her whole extended family. I want to tell you about a moment that I wish I had, like, one of these. You know, you remember, you're playing along. Do, 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 Ah, what's the sound? There it is. And you just, all you got to do is hit the reset button, right? There was this moment we're sitting at this restaurant. Her brothers are younger, they're teenagers, and they started shooting spitwads. I wonder if you can imagine where this is going. Me, being the mature 20-something, thought, that's a great idea. Let's get involved. So my wife's mom was hiding behind a menu. And I thought, cool, I'm going to shoot one and splatter it on the menu. Right as I get it all ready, go to shoot, I shoot, she drops the menu. (laughs) If ever I've wanted a reset... It hit right here and went right down. (laughs) To all the, that's my son, you done messed up, eh, Ron? (laughs) To, To all of the young men in the room here today dating, just don't, okay? Don't do that. I, I wanted a, a reset, 
so badly. And today, as we continue the series talking about resets and how, how we actually can see change, I want to talk with you about something a little different, the, the pathway for change. Last week, we talked about where do we find the power, and we talked about how this, you know, God actually gives us through the Holy Spirit kind of a reset button, something that helps us change. Today, I want to talk with you about how you can, you can not only hit that reset button, but, but know the path to go to get there. And I want you to imagine a scenario with me, okay? Guys especially, imagine this with me. You and your family are deciding to go on a trip. You, you plan to leave right as it's getting dark because you have kids and it'll be perfect. You pack the kids in the van or the car. And as you're driving through the night, sure, you're tired and you've got plenty of coffee, but the kids a couple hours in go to sleep. And it's, it's good. By midnight, you hit a spot. You're heading south of here, and you, you've hit the, the, the Smokies, okay? You've hit the Smoky Mountains now down towards Tennessee, right? And you figure something out. Your cell phone connection isn't working so well. And the whole way there, you've been doing what? You've been following directions on your phone, your GPS on your phone. And now all of a sudden, your phone has no cell service. You know there's a turn coming up, but it's dark. You don't know when you need to turn. You're not quite sure what the highway is that you need to get on. You know there's something that needs to happen. So what do you do, men? More than likely, you just keep driving. <laughs> but what should you do? You should stop and ask for, I know it's hard to say, repeat it with me, guys. <laughs> ask, ask for directions. I, have you ever hit a time in your life where you needed to do just that, like ask for the directions? Now, I, I know that that's a, a silly little thing, and I know that sometimes it's hard for us to ask for directions, but if you imagine in driving it's hard to ask for directions, imagine how much harder it is in, in real life to stop and ask somebody else for like directions. What do I do when these things come up in my life? What do I do when I have this problem? Because the reality is there isn't a Google Maps for life. There isn't a Google Maps for like the problems and the issues that, that come up in our lives. But here's what I know. When you're trying to get someplace that you've never begin, everyone, I mean everyone, no matter how smart you are, everyone needs directions of some sort. And if you're trying to make a change, if there's something, maybe a habit you're trying to kick or a relationship you're trying to see changed, something going on at work that you know needs to be addressed, you know, maybe there's things going on with your kids and you're really concerned and you don't know how to get them from where they are to where you want them to be. At some point, you are going to need directions. I need them regularly. Don't believe me? I wish somebody would have said, don't shoot the spit wad. <laughs> Just being honest. That started things off great with my mother-in-law. <laughs> Here's the thing. There are a lot of places you and I can turn for directions, though, right? If you ever stop and ask for physical directions when you're driving, the directions are only as good as the person who gives them to you. They're only as good as 
how well the person knows how to get from A to B, right? And that's the same in life. The reality is the directions that you and I choose to listen to will affect where we end up. Who you and I listen to will affect our destination. It will affect where you go. For example, if you're trying to go to Florida and you get stuck in the, you know, you're you're stuck someplace in Virginia and somebody tells you, hey, head back north, that's probably a problem. And the reality is if you're trying to go to the Midwest, like we're from, you know, we lived in Kansas the last 20 years. If I get on the highway and start heading east, it doesn't matter where I intend to go. I'm never going to end up there. So the people that you listen to, the advice, the directions that you choose to prioritize in your life will determine where you go. See, you could tell me that you want to change all day long. But until we start listening to directions that actually put us on the path to change, you'll never end there. So here's what I know. I know that thankfully, even though there isn't a Google Maps for life, God has given us incredible direction and instruction in his word. In fact, I would even go as far as saying this, following God's word will lead you to a good destination. It will lead you to the change you're looking for. It will lead you to a place where you actually can see relationships reestablished. You can see broken things fixed. It will lead you in that pathway if we will simply listen to it. In fact, I'd go a step further, and here's what I would tell you, because as we're talking about reset and we're talking about seeing life change, sometimes we need to be set free from something, right? We've been enslaved by it. And here's what I know, following God's word will lead you to a life of freedom. That's what I want to show you today, okay? We're going to look at one passage of scripture together, okay? It's a very, very simple passage. It's one of the most well-known passages. It's also the longest passage, longest chapter in the Bible, so buckle up. We're going to be here. Uh, What the Bills game starts at 1, we'll be done by 3.30. It'll be... (laughs) It'll, it'll be fine. Yeah, sorry, Alex. I apologize. No, I'm just kidding. We won't be here long. But it's, it's Psalm 119. That's the passage that we're going to look at. If you have a Bible, or if you want to use your phone, or you can follow along up here too. But if you have a Bible, it's kind of just right in the middle. Like if you could just open up your Bible to about the middle, that's going to be about Psalm 119. And this passage in particular is 100% focused on the benefits of listening to and obeying God's word. Like if I could summarize the entire chapter, it would be this. There are so many benefits to just building God's word into your life and letting it be your GPS, letting it be the thing that guides you. Because if you do, it will lead you to freedom And there's all kinds of advice out there that promises you freedom, but you've lived long enough to know that oftentimes it doesn't give you freedom. It makes you a slave. So I want something different for you. Let me show you just one verse to kick us off. And then what we're going to talk about here today is we're going to talk about the benefits of listening to and and prioritizing God's word because that puts you on the pathway to change, okay? There's this verse in Psalm 119, it's verse 45, and it talks about how God's word does set us free. Let me show you what it says. It says, 
I will walk about in freedom. Man, that sounds good, right? I'll live my life in freedom. I will be free. Are we, what are we talking about? Are we talking spiritually free? Yeah. Could it also be financial freedom? Well, yeah, actually, if you look at the wisdom in God's word, yeah. Could it be relational freedom, like free to, to be able to have good and healthy and strong relationships? Yeah, all of that. I will walk about in freedom because, or for, I have sought out your precepts. In other words, I've looked at your word. I've seen it to be good. I started to obey it. I started to build it into my life, and it set me free. That's the key, I think to this whole chapter. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move quickly. We've got about another, you know, 10, 15 minutes, and I'm going to walk through 10 benefits. They're very simple. I won't talk about them long. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. Uh, But I'm going to give you 10 benefits of choosing to prioritize God's word because I do believe that following God's word is what will lead you to the life of freedom that you want. You want to be free from, from the addiction that you're battling? You want to be free from the things that seem to be, you know, enslaving you? You want to be free? You want to see change in your speech and change in your... I don't even have to say it anymore. This is how, okay? This is the pathway. So, let's look at verse 1, Psalm 119. It says this, Blessed are those who, whose ways are blameless, who... Walk according to the law of the Lord. What is it saying? It's saying that there is an incredible benefit to walking according to the law of the Lord. What does it mean to walk according to the law of the Lord? It just means to see it, acknowledge it, submit to it, and obey. Yep, that's the right way to do it. It's like if you're doing orientation at a new job and they're coaching you on how to run a new machine or a new procedure and they say step one, step two, step three, and you see that when you get all the way through step three, everything works right and the way it should be. That's the truth about the instructions in God's word. It's like, it's, it's not that he's trying to keep you from something. He's just trying to show you he made life. Here's what happens if you do it his way. There's a great benefit. Here's benefit number one. It's very simple. It keeps us blameless. It keeps us blameless. Like nobody can point a finger at you and say, you did this. You broke this. Right? That's a good thing. Let me, let me tell you why that's such a good thing. Because if, if you are living a blameless life, do you know what one, another thing that, that's not going to be following you all the time? Shame. Shame. Ever felt shame? Boy, I sure have. Have you ever watched a dog when they know they've done something wrong and you know they're caught? Right? I've felt that. I've felt that because of my actions and my choices. I would guess that most of you in this room have lived long enough to know what that feels like and to know that shame doesn't give you, doesn't, doesn't do good things for us. In fact, shame tends to lead us to more sin, doesn't it? Because we're like, well, I've already done it and I'm already, I'm, I'm dirty, I've done it. I'll just keep doing it. Do you see the benefit? It keeps us blameless. And again, that walks us into the, the very next idea. You can skip over to verses five and six. 
Verses 5 and 6 say this, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider all of your commands. Here's, here it is. Here's the second benefit. It keeps us from shame. Keeps us from the very thing that honestly weighs us down. Now, I grew up thinking that God's word was a bunch of old, dusty rules and regulations. Can anybody identify with that? Okay, yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. Okay, <laughs> I'll just keep mine up for you. I grew up thinking that. But the longer I've lived, I've, I've come to realize that really God's just trying to protect me. Protect me from shame, from harm. Now the scripture continues on and the, the psalmist in verse 23 says this. Look at, this is, this is the third benefit. Psalm 119 verse 23. It says this, though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. What's he, what's he saying? Though people who are in power and authority say bad things about him, even though, you know, the, probably the, the, the man who wrote Psalm 119 is David. He became a king himself. When he wrote this, we don't know exactly. But he went through a great time of when, when rulers wanted to kill him and, say, ter- and they said terrible things about him, accused him of all sorts of things, things that were not true. What do you do when you're dealing with relational conflict and pain and people are saying untrue things about you? What do you do? Well, the, the psalmist here says this, Though rulers sit and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. He's basically saying, I have something to hold me firm even when I'm dealing with relational conflict. That, that's, that's benefit number three. It gives us anchors. It gives us something to hold us when the storm of people slandering you or, or mistreating you or, or you get passed over for something at work and you don't know why or, or, or God forbid a spouse leaves you and you don't understand what you did or I mean the, the list goes on it gives you an anchor it gives you something to hold you so that you don't have to be tossed to and fro and I've walked through seasons of intense relational conflict. I've had, as, as a pastor, I've had people say all sorts of terrible things about me. I, I've shared with some of you, I had a point, we led a, another church through incredible change. We, we, we led it through all kinds of change, not theologically or God's word, but practice, methodologically. And we saw God bless in, in incredible ways, but not everybody likes change. Did you know that? And so I had people walk into my office and say, Aaron, I hate you. You have stolen my church. Now, I'm a little bit of a smart aleck, and I probably said, that's funny. I didn't think it belonged to us. I thought it belonged to God. That didn't go over real well. But if I didn't have something to hold me, if I didn't have someone to say to me, Aaron, I see you. I know. Man, it would have crippled me. Do you have that? I want you to have that. I want you to know God and know that you have an anchor, a firm foundation. 
Let's look at the next verse, verse 25. It says this, I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Okay, something bad is happening. I'm laid low in, low in the dust. He's, there's suffering. There's loss. There's deep sorrow and pain, which maybe you've experienced or are experiencing that right now. Verse 28, he says this. He says, my soul is weary with sorrow. I'm worn out. I'm broken. I'm tired. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 50, if you look at it, it says this, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. These three verses are talking about pain, sorrow, loss, discouragement, despair, maybe even depression, and what in the world do we do? Do do Christians wrestle with depression? Yeah. What do we do? God's word holds us and helps us. Here's the fourth benefit. It strengthens and comforts us in sorrow and suffering. Now, if you're anything like me, I, I am really quick to run to people for comfort. I'm kind of a people person. I want to know people are on my side. I want to tell my sad sob story, and I want them to cry for me. You know? Yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a little HM, so I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe you can identify with that. But one of the things that God is teaching me is to run to him, to run to his word, and to find my strength and my encouragement in him. Not the community's bad, but to find it in him. Just this past week, um, there's a very precious lady back in Kansas City that I had the privilege of pastoring for, for almost 20 years. Her name's Shirley Austin. And she went to be with Jesus this week. Shirley was 87 years old. And uh, she, every time I would go and visit her, she got to the place where she couldn't drive anymore. Her eyesight got so bad, right, that she, um, she literally, when she could show up for church, she would show up, she had this giant magnifying glass. And she'd sit there with her Bible. With it. Like, you want to talk about Commitment. And I'd show up at her house, you know, I'd knock on the door and go in, I'd find her sitting in her chair, and in her chair she had one of these, like, floor-mounted magnifying glasses that she could move. Instead of sitting there and watching TV, this lady, I, would, I asked her, I was like, why? Like, your eyesight is so bad, you can barely see anything, you can barely read, and yet you're fighting, you are doing everything you can to get back into God's word. Why? She goes, because I have been through so much, and I have sorrow over my family, and I have struggle, and I need God to encourage me. You want to talk about somebody who understood the benefits of God's word. And now she's with Jesus. Surely understood that God's word leads us down the path of freedom. Let me show you some others. Psalm 119 verse 63 says this, 
I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. In other words, I find other people who want to go in the same direction, and out of that, I develop great, good, helpful friendships. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, that God's word actually leads us to be able to find good friends and good community. It does. It helps you to know who you should build into your life. Like, who's actually going to tell you the truth when you need to hear the truth? Do you have that? Because if you don't, remember, the path that you're on is only as good (laughs) as where it ends up. You need people who will tell you the truth. God's word puts us in the place where we can find good friends and good community. Verse 37, look at what it says. It says this, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. In other words, there seems to be some sort of connection between turning our eyes from worthless things, things that we could waste our lives on, right? And there's plenty of those kinds of things. Those are the things we tend to gravitate to, unfortunately. There's some connection between turning our eyes from worthless things and preserving our lives. In other words, actually using our lives for what they were intended to be used for. Here's here's the benefit. I think God's word keeps us from worthless distractions. It keeps me from thinking that the goal of life is to get to 65, retire, and sit in a lazy boy and watch TV. You know how many people do that? And how many people then die within a few years because they just sat It keeps us from distractions. Young people, there are a myriad of distractions. There are shiny things. There are shiny people. There are ideas. There are all kinds of things that you go, wow, that looks awesome. I want to have a, I mean, if you ask ask my middle son, he's like, man, I want the biggest, baddest truck. Cool. That's awesome. I get it. But your life is not built on that. There can be So many distractions. Young people, build God's word into your life so that you won't waste it. Keeps us from worthless distractions. Verse 73, the psalmist says this, your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. Here's what he's saying. God, you made me, you formed me, you put me together. This thing is so complex. You put it together. In other words, God knows us. He made us. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He knew what he was doing when he made you with the unique characteristics and capabilities that he made you with. Like, that's the way it is. God made you that way on purpose. Here's what I think the benefit is. The benefit is that when we go to God's word and we listen to him, God shows us our purpose. Do you know how many people are struggling to know what their purpose is? They're depressed because they don't know why they're here. They feel like something's missing. Yep. God gives us insight. Let's look at number eight. Psalm 119 verse 105 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It's a light on my 
path. I love this one. This is one that I memorized as a child, and I've always had this imagery of walking through the dark. And by the way, you know, we live up on the hill up here on, on Echo. I love how everybody says you live on the hill. You know, it's, it's, that's a thing out here. We don't have hills in the Midwest, okay? <laughs> we have wind and dust. Yeah, yeah. You have hills here, okay? We live on the hill. And if you go outside at night where we live, because we live, you know, uh, you can't, there's not houses real close. We live on, on some acres there. If you go outside at night, it's dark. I mean, dark, dark. And I've seen enough bears here already to realize <laughs> that that's not a good combination. We had three in our backyard one night, and we were like, oh, how you doing? <laughs> I have this imagery of walking around in the dark. And yes, I know, some of you would say, well, your eyes eventually adjust. Yes, they do. Okay. Uh, where's my friend Bob? Yes, your eyes adjust. I know. But I have this imagery of walking outside, and there's all kinds of tree roots and all kinds of things that will creep up and trip you. And what this verse is saying is that God's word is a lamp to show me where if I'm not careful, I will trip and fall flat on my face and wreck my life. It's a light to my path. So I do not trip. Verse 110, just a few verses later, the psalmist says this, the wicked have set a snare for me, but I've not strayed from your precepts. So not only are there things you can trip on, but there are traps. There are things that are out there designed to trap you. And as long as you, we stick to God's precepts, he protects us. Here's what I think he's saying. God's word, when we, when we follow it, when we obey it, he keeps us from falling. He keeps us from getting trapped. He keeps us from being enslaved. You get? He protects and he guides. That's what he does. God's word uses it gives us insight so that we are protected and guided and we know what to watch out for. Just a couple more. Verse 133 says this. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. This is what I just referenced. Like if sin rules over us, it captivates us. It captures us. We're stuck to it. This is the, the, the ninth benefit. It keeps us from being enslaved. See, I told you earlier, I used to think that when God uh, gave us his rules and regulations in his word, that he was just giving us all kinds of dusty old things, and I thought it was terrible. What I've learned is when God says don't, he's also saying don't hurt yourself. Don't get trapped. He's not being mean. He's not a fun hater. He actually created fun and pleasure. He's just saying, don't hurt yourself. Which that actually reminds me of the verse I shared with you at the beginning. Verse 45, it says, I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. I mean, that's the whole idea. God's word sets us free. Here's the last one. Psalm 119, 
verse 165 says this. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. I saved this one for last because I, I, I think this is huge. Do you catch that? I think the thing that we're all striving for is peace. Peace in our homes, peace in our relationships, peace in our minds, peace at work, right? Peace at school, peace in our country, peace in our world. God's word shows us how to have it. It says very clearly, great peace have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. Here's the 10th benefit. God's word gives us peace and steadiness in the midst of a turbulent life, or I would say a turbulent world. So here's, here's the point of it all. Sometimes a reset button really helps us so we can go back and start over. But just going back and starting over without knowing the pathway forward does us no good, right? You need to know how to get where you're trying to go. You're going to need directions. And I'm telling you, God's word gives us those directions. It lays out the path. It shows us how to go. So what do we do? Well, here's what we do. It's simple. It's, it's, it's a phrase that I'll, I'll, I'll give to you, okay? It's very simple. First, the first part of it is this. Pull over. Pull over. I would suggest that maybe right now you acknowledge the areas of your life where you're driving and you are not listening to God's directions. And it's time to say, don't, don't, don't do that on the way home, okay? <laughs> Guys, if you do, do not get me in trouble, Okay? <laughs> But pull over. Like, stop. Second, ask for directions. Ask God. I just wonder what would happen if you would actually just ask him. Would you ask him? Would you say, God, show me in your word. Help me to know. Speak to me, God. Show me this week how to fix this thing going on in my relationship, in my marriage. Show me how to start breaking the cycle of this habit that I have. Show me what I need to do with my kids. Show me where I need to change in my approach to parenting. Show me, God, please. And I'm telling you, I have a feeling he's going to show up. I just wonder what would happen if we would pull over ask for directions and listen. And then, here's the third part, actually obey, heed his advice. I wonder what would happen. So I wanna, I'm gonna leave you today with two questions and a story, okay? Two questions and a story. Question number one, would you, if you're taking notes or, or if you have something to write on, please at least write your answer down to this question. I don't want you to wait to go home and do it because if you're anything like me, I'm going to go home. I'm, I'm, I get hangry on Sundays, okay? I, I get hangry. And then there's football on, you know? I, of course, it's the Bills. It's not the Chiefs, but uh, I'm kidding. Sorry. So please write it down today here. Here's the question. What do I need to start doing to spend more time with God. 
What is it that I need to start doing right now in order to start spending more time with God? For me, I know I have to get up before my kids. If I don't, I won't do it. And then I, I think I'll do it at the end of the day, but I don't. I'm tired. I'm tired. I have to get up before my kids. I got to have something to write on. I got to have a journal. And I got to do it. That's for me. What do you need to do? Question number two. What do I need to stop doing in order to spend more time with God? Sometimes for me, it's just as simple as I need to go to bed earlier. Right? Sometimes for me, it's as simple as I need to write a list of all of the 37 things that are in my head that I need to stop thinking about doing, but I list them so I don't forget, so I can move on to focus on one thing. Right? I need to say no to good things so I can say yes to a better thing. What do you need to stop doing so you can start spending more time with God? Here's what I want to leave you with. You've heard already that we, we're big on people sharing life, and I am huge on sharing life because I know that when I do it, people ask me hard questions, and they help keep me on track. I want to share with you a story of a guy in our church here. His name's Jeff. And Jeff has become a very good friend of mine, and he asks me hard questions because we're in a group together. I want you to see why not only you need God's word, but you need other people who will call you to it. Would you watch? I got connected to a small group when I first started at Bridgewater in Montrose, probably about 10 years ago. Honestly, I went there because my kids were going to Voyager and I didn't want to drive all the way back home. At first, I didn't have much interest, but quickly learned to really like the small group and lean on the people in it and started even going when the boys didn't go to Voyager. I would say right from the start, I, uh, I was aware that it felt very warm when I was there, very friendly, and I wanted to be a part of that. I made some good friends. Two of my best friends are people I met in my very first small group. They were there for me when I have bad times, and likewise, I was there for them when they have bad times. Uh, I'd say that's the, the depth of my growth uh, spiritually has been through small group. It's a good chance to apply what we learn and to put it into practice on a day-to-day -day basis as we all go through life. It's nice to see other people, not that I want them to struggle, but I'm not alone going through the same struggles uh, that they are. So it's good to have someone to stand by when you need them. I would say in my life, I've got lots of people that I would call friends or they would call me their friends. But they're not the ones that are going to point it out when I'm going the wrong direction. They're, they're not the ones that are going to pull me back in when I'm making some bad decisions. Uh, when you're in church on Sunday, at the end of the service, you're getting up and you're going home. And what you do at that point may or not be affected by church. When you go to small group, uh, you're interacting. That's when you're talking and they're talking. You're not just listening. And you're sharing life events and struggles and hurts and triumphs. And that's where you really, bonds are built. Sin can be broken that way. And uh, 
life can be much more full when, like we say, when you're, when you're, when you're not alone. I think if you don't get in a group, um, coming to church becomes a, a box that you check. I did it for the week. Uh, I'm a good man. I'm holy. Granted, small group is a couple hours, and you could argue that it's a small percentage of your week, but there you really interact and you put into practice, both mentally and through speech, and what you're learning and what you're sharing, and that's like that's where the growth comes. That's where you become a better disciple. That's where you learn to reach out to people. Something triggers in your heart where you want to come to church and you want to come to small group and you want to serve people and make a difference. Having some godly men and some godly women talking about what it's like to have a godly husband. Uh, I don't know how to measure that. That was huge as far as becoming what I wanted to be, what my wife needs me to be, what my children need me to be.